This is BP Technology Outlook. Focus on hydrogen podcast. This podcast is all about hydrogen. And where better to start than somewhere that's got it all going on already? In fact, the Orkney Islands are sometimes even called the Hydrogen Islands. Throughout this podcast series, I've been asking people to imagine they had an island and choose their energy mix for it. Well, on the Orkney Islands, renewables are abundant. Tidal, wind, there's a lot of that. And they're actively trying to utilize it. So why the need for hydrogen? From our own perspective, it was absolutely driven by need. We were starting to make tidal energy work, but the grid wasn't able to take the electricity that we were producing. Neil Kermode, European Marine Energy Centre. The grid was simply designed for the 1980s and 90s to take a small amount of power to these islands where the tides were. And we were finding we were now in a position where we were generating industrial quantities of power on these islands and couldn't get the electricity back down the wires because they hadn't been put in big enough. Not unreasonably. So we looked around and realised that actually we could do something useful with the electricity by making hydrogen. I'm David Iton. I'm BP's Head of Technology. So what's all the interest in hydrogen at the moment? In a low-carbon world, There aren't really very many energy vectors, the way you can deliver energy to people that don't involve fossil carbon. There's actually three. There's electrons, electricity, there's biomass, and there's hydrogen. It is one of the three primary solutions to the world's energy challenge in the long term. I'm Professor Nigel Brandon. I'm based at Imperial College London. We do use the colours. Of course, hydrogen is a colourless gas, so it's got nothing to do with the actual colour of the hydrogen. Grey hydrogen is hydrogen made from fossil fuels in which we also have an associated CO2 release. You're stripping off the hydrogen from the methane molecule, which is CH4, and that produces carbon dioxide. Blue hydrogen is hydrogen made from fossil fuels, for example, natural gas, but in which we use carbon capture and storage to capture the majority of the CO2 that's released. So it becomes a much lower carbon hydrogen. And green hydrogen is where we've made that hydrogen without emitting any CO2. Primarily, this means from electrolysis using renewable energy from uh, solar or wind, for example. Charles Perkis, ITM Power, one of the leading electrolyzer manufacturers. Hydrogen, whether it comes from coal, from oil or gas, it's got a very high carbon footprint. When you're making it from water, it's no carbon footprint. You're just using water and electricity. And providing that electricity to a green source, then you've got a completely carbon-free green fuel that's renewable. Electrolysis equipment takes electricity and splits water into hydrogen and oxygen. You can use the hydrogen for a whole range of different uses. So you could have one facility providing hydrogen for transport, industrial processes, or for injecting into the gas grid for heat. It can be clean, it can be green if we use low-carbon electricity, uh, but it is currently more expensive. So that's the main barrier for electrolysis. Unless you have a source of very cheap electricity, making it from natural gas by steam methane reforming, as it's called, which is a large-scale process, a catalytic process, is currently cheaper. So to go from grey hydrogen to blue hydrogen, this is where the carbon capture and storage comes in. But how is it actually achieved? Henry Cohen, lead analyst in the BP Technology Futures team. The removal of carbon dioxide from a stream is something that we know we can do already and compression and storage is the other part. Basically the way carbon capture 
the storage part works is you compress the carbon dioxide that's being captured and then you re-inject that into a geological location that you know will hold CO2 in there for a long time. What's great about blue hydrogen is that you know we can do it in scale today and we've done it, whereas with green hydrogen it's difficult to bring it up in scale. People who've got superb renewable resources can probably make hydrogen quite cheaply out of that. But many parts of the world don't have great renewable resources and they also have great hydrocarbon conventional resources and places to put the carbon. So in some parts of the world, I think you'll make it blue hydrogen more cheaply. In other parts of the world, I think you'll probably be able to make green more cheaply today. The cost of making the hydrogen, if you like, is very much dependent on the costs of the electricity. And as renewable energy costs are coming down quite dramatically, the price of green hydrogen will be competitive with blue. Kobad Bhavnagri, Bloomberg NEF. There really is a huge amount of potential for hydrogen, but there are some high hurdles that need to be crossed. And many of them can be jumped, particularly ones that have to do with technical issues. Uh, say, for instance, the cost of producing hydrogen, it's high, but it can fall. Storing hydrogen is challenging. Transporting hydrogen can be costly, but there are ways to do it cheaply. But the real highest hurdle is policy. The reason why we see the importance in blue hydrogen really is to establish that scale to start with, because we could sit there until the green hydrogen you know, goes to scale, but without production, the end-use applications aren't going to be produced. So we see blue hydrogen as something that can bridge that gap. Well, hydrogen certainly sounds good, but I can't help a certain feeling of deja vu. Hydrogen has been there before. There's been three previous hype cycles, if you will, and all of those previous phases have, of course, fizzled out and hydrogen really has, has failed to take off. The key question which people should be trying to answer and keeping a close eye on is whether this time will be different. I got involved in hydrogen almost 19 years ago when BP had already stated its aim to grow a low-carbon strategy. Angelo Amorelli, Vice President of BP Group Research. Its physical characteristics means that it's very expensive to move it from A to B. So that's one of the biggest challenges. How do we get hydrogen delivered to a customer at a price that is comparable with fuels today? Safety was a big area of focus for us because we knew that if there was one accident, then the hydrogen economy would be over, but literally it would be in a flash. So we put a lot of emphasis to make sure that engineered systems were made to the highest quality, maintained to the highest quality, and that we had the correct processes in place. That's when we start talking about the importance of infrastructure. If hydrogen was very widely used, you could potentially transport that with pipelines. We don't do that today because there isn't such a distributed demand for hydrogen. Using pipelines would significantly reduce the cost of delivered hydrogen. So there's the infrastructure to deliver hydrogen for heating required. And what about transport? We were one of the first to you know, build hydrogen refueling stations. We decided to pull out of that business because there just wasn't fuel cell vehicles available for us to actually utilise any of our refueling stations. The infrastructure problem that they specifically have is that 
hydrogen refueling stations and the cost of that really depends on the utilisation. The real price for hydrogen is what is broadly called the hard to abate sectors, for which electricity really is not a good solution. And that is a combination of industry, especially high heat applications, and then very heavy transport, big trucks, ships, those sorts of things, and possibly even aircraft if you can make fuels that they can use out of hydrogen. So, to win that prize, what comes first? The technology or the infrastructure to enable it? I spoke to Trevor at Nikola Motor Company to find out how they're dealing with this challenge. Trevor Milton, I'm the CEO and founder of Nikola Motor Company. We are a truck manufacturer and an original equipment manufacturer, but primarily what we focus on is actually controlling the energy that is used and consumed by vehicles. We provide them all the energy they need and the end product, which would be hydrogen for that truck for the entire lifespan of that vehicle. So without the station, you it literally makes zero sense to build a hydrogen truck. And that's the advantage is that we provide both. We provide the chicken and the egg. We provide the truck and the hydrogen production for the life of that truck. So what's really cool about hydrogen is, is as soon as you start producing more than a thousand kilograms a day, your, your cost reduces by about 80%. Orkney, we are a group of islands, so ferries represent a main form of transport for us and indeed it's a lifeline. Karen Oag, European Marine Energy Centre. The first concept that we tested and demonstrated here was taking any surplus energy which is produced by tidal energy or wind energy. That energy is then stored as hydrogen. That hydrogen is, can then be put through the fuel cell, reconverted into electricity, and then used to give auxiliary power to the ferry. So from Orkney to Phoenix, we're beginning to see that integration between the technology and the infrastructure, and they're evolving for different reasons. One is driven by surplus energy, and the other is driven by expanding a business model. So are these examples a sign that this might be hydrogen's time? 20 years ago, uh, the world was waking up to the climate challenge. That then sort of coincided with the big financial crisis globally. So there was this hiatus, which actually created, uh, you know, several years of dormancy. I, th I think at the moment we've got, you know, the confluence of all these interests in how we grow more sustainably going forward. What's uh, increased in that time is the world has grown its renewable energy system. That means one piece of the hydrogen future, which is how do we make more and more green hydrogen, is partly being addressed by the growth in those renewable technologies. Now, an interesting move is that the G20 actually asked for a report on the hydrogen industry. So why do you think that's come about now? And how do you see the future being influenced by the fact that the G20 have got involved? This is big because a lot of the challenges is, you know, uncertainty of having a business model to push through hydrogen. And the fact that various governments are interested in hydrogen, understanding that space and pushing through technology means there will be lot more certainties around the investment and the risks aren't entirely left up to businesses with some interest in hydrogen. So I think that's huge. And I think the reason why they are involved in is because they see it as a part of decarbonisation solution for all of the world. 
If the world or countries in the world are serious about achieving the Paris goals, I have absolutely no doubt they're going to need to have hydrogen as part of their energy system. So in, in terms of meeting our decarbonisation targets, which we've got to do and address greenhouse warming, we, we've got to deploy electrolysis. I still get questions. So when's it happening, Charles? <laughs> when's it happening? <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's they're waiting for mainstream media to really wake up to the big potential. As much as I believe in hydrogen, I don't believe hydrogen is the solution for everything. Sometimes it makes sense, other times it doesn't make sense. Sometimes blue makes sense, sometimes green makes sense. I think the, the most exciting thing that's happening now is more people are coming to that understanding and we are finally starting to move away from the whole idea of where one thing is a silver bullet and we discount everything else. For me, of all the podcasts we've done so far, this has been the most exciting, partly because it's the one I knew least about to start with. And then to discover that there are whole communities that have got the whole hydrogen thing joined up without the rest of us even being aware of it, it's quite an eye-opener. And it's starting to work successfully. Well, on the Orkney Islands, I spoke to lots of interesting people and we didn't have time to squeeze everything into this podcast. So watch out for our Hydrogen Islands special. This was a BB Technology Outlook production. Focus on, on Hydrogen, hydrogen. Podcast.